0: We're not just saved by hearing the declarations about Jesus. We also have to respond in the way that Jesus called us to respond to the gospel. If we don't repent and believe and follow him, then in Jesus' mind, we don't, we're not saved.
1: Hello, this is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. Well, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here today. Excuse me, I've been struggling with a little bit of a cold. You can probably hear it in my voice, but I'm excited to set up this next episode. I've had the chance to talk with Ben Sobel. Ben is the lead pastor at Cypress Community Church in Monterey, California. He's married to his wife, Joni, and together they've had five children, four of whom are now out of the house. Ben has a a great story. He grew up in Australia, was saved while caddying on the PGA Tour in 1995. He went on to graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary in 2000 and became the senior pastor at Cypress Community Church in 2010. Ben's a guy who I had a chance to meet at an organic outreach conference years ago, and together we talked about the connection between evangelism and discipleship and the gospel, and uh, long story short, he's gone on now to write a book co-authored with Bill Hull called The Discipleship Gospel. I can't wait to share this interview with you. Hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm sitting here with Ben Sobel's. Ben is the pastor of Cypress Community Church in Salinas, California. We've had a chance to meet a few different times, Ben. I'm so excited to have you on to talk about your book, The Discipleship Gospel, What Jesus Preached We Must Follow. Good to have you here.
0: Thanks very much, Adam. It's great to be with you.
1: Yeah, this is, a, this is a great time. I want to first of all just thank you. You, you are, uh, from what I heard, you're in the midst of a sabbatical.
0: Yeah, I, I, this is the first time I've ever had a sabbatical. It's three months long and I'm one month into it. So I, all I can tell you is this is a wonderful gift from our church after 10 years of ministry um, and I've already restarted recalibrating. So it's, it's a beautiful gift.
1: Yeah, it really is wonderful. I, I uh, had one, my, one myself this summer. I think a lot of times as leaders, we're almost afraid to, to use the language of self-care or those sorts of things. We don't want to sound like we're being wimpy or we, we, you know, we immediately go, our brain goes to the guy who's a, a CEO or business owner who says, hey, I've never been paid for taking three months off. Um, how were you, you able to get your church to a place of peace about doing that for you?
0: Well, our elders have actually been talking to me about it for the last couple of years, and that just the timing of it just didn't seem right to any of us, but they were really pushing. And so the last 12 months, we've had a really great uh, year with our staff, and the church is, is moving in the right direction, and um, the chairman of the elders just came to me and just said, hey, I think it's time. And I, I said, I think it is too. So oh man, um, it, it was just a great meeting of the minds, and the, the guys that I served with are just awesome. Our church is fantastic, and, and um. Yeah, so it's, it's really been the coming together of a couple of years of preparation.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. It's wonderful when leadership in a local church understands kind of some of, the, some of the unique pressures of pastoral ministry that require, you know, periods of extensive kind of pulling away, recharging, recalibrating, some of those things. Do you have anything in particular hope you're hoping to study or to do on your, on your sabbatical?
0: You know what, because the, the, I've never done this before, my goal for the first month and a half has just been to um, read and to do some writing and to go riding on my mountain bike. I've just got into mountain biking <laughs> about six months ago and so I've, I've put in a lot of miles on the mountain bike in the last month and it's just, it's been good to kind of come off the, the stress and sometimes the anxiety of, of weekly ministry yeah um, it 's been really good to come down off that uh, and just kind of get into a place where I can truly rest so it 's been a great, great gift
1: and you don 't really get there in the first couple of weeks it It does take at least that first month to even begin feeling like you have a life outside of this weekly rhythm um, I, I, th- this summer when I went uh, away for a while there was um, there's a point where i'm dr- it was our first sunday actually we 're driving to church and we intentionally were going to different churches in our area we didn 't go to our home church and We're driving there and I realized as we're going, I have never driven to church with my two youngest sons.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: It was such a crazy thing. You know, we're we're driving along and it, it hit me. This is just something our families never experienced that a lot of people just take for granted. And there was that moment of getting there and talking, praying and then getting out, being done and saying, so what'd you think of the sermon? And it wasn't dad's sermon they were talking about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's it, it's been a rare experience for my wife and i to be able to go to church um together as well and not and, and it not be our church and so um it's been it's been it's been really good Adam. i highly recommend uh church leaders to talk to their pastors about taking a sabbatical because i think only good things come out of it with the good. right approaches taken
1: oh that's great yeah, being intentional, uh, seeking it out, having partnership, that's, that's great, Ben. Well, that's not really why we're talking today, but I'm glad we got to hear a little bit about that. Um, ben, I can remember the first time we met, or at least our first really substantive conversation, you and I were sitting there, and I think the thing that immediately drew me to you was that we were both really passionate about discipleship in the local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was about six, we were talking, we said, I think that's been about six or seven years ago now, mm-hmm. And at the time you were, you were launching a program in your church, since then you've now written a book called The Discipleship Gospel, uh, which I, I mentioned already and I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to encourage people to connect with at the end of the podcast. But um, why don't you tell me just a little bit about your journey as a pastor in a local church and what led you to, to be passionate about this and what led you to get to the point where you're right now writing a book about it?
0: yeah i think uh, i've always been passionate about the gospel i got saved when i was 22 years old i didn't grow up in a christian uh home or a christian environment uh living in australia and uh so when i heard the gospel when i was 22 it just com- it radically changed my life and so i've always been passionate about the gospel And then uh going through seminary becoming a pastor coming into the local church i I always had a heart for discipleship but i wasn't quite sure how to do discipleship no one had really ever intentionally discipled me Mm. as a new believer i kind of got discipled through seminary um in some ways and um so i was always trying to figure out okay i've got this passion for the gospel and and a love for discipleship how do these two things go together and a good friend of mine came up uh bill hull and he's written a bunch of books on discipleship. But he said one thing um, that really connected everything together for me. He said, the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. Wow. And that connected a whole lot of dots for me. And he said a second thing, which was you can't make a Christ-like disciple out of a gospel that's not Jesus' kingdom gospel. <laughs> so all these, all these things started to whirl around in my head. And then we started talking, uh, Bill and I, and uh we worked together on a in an organization called the bonhoeffer project which is on the side of what i do with as a senior pastor with cyprus community church and uh so we spend a lot of time together and we ended up deciding writing uh to write a book about this because there's so many gospels floating around american subculture um these days it's not uncommon to hear of the social justice gospel or the consumer gospel or the prosperity gospel um and so all of these gospels don't produce christ-like disciples and so it's really important that we think precisely and rightly about jesus kingdom gospel and so the the whole idea of the book was to get back to okay what is the gospel that jesus preached
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that's a great kind of synopsis of of the the connection that you're seeing here between uh, between the gospel we preach and the kind of disciples we make and and in many ways I think there's a kind of a, there's a provocative kind of claim in your book that that we're part of the crisis of discipleship we're seeing in the church is the crisis of clarity when it comes to the disciple to the to the gospel itself. And you, you just mentioned, I think in the book, is it seven different kind of false gospels that get talked about uh, in the world today, right? Is that, is that right? Seven different kind of versions of the gospel?
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and so there's, we, we can't, so we've talked about the prosperity gospel, the consumer gospel, um, the social justice gospel. There's a therapeutic gospel that just says, you know, Jesus came to make you feel as comfortable as possible. Sure. Um, legalistic gospel. There's the gospel of the conservative right, and then the gospel of the liberal left. Yes. Um, all these gospels are permeating American culture, and it affects the culture of discipleship in the local church because the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make.
1: Yeah, one of the, one of the passages in the book, I, I want to read this uh, and get you to bounce off it for me. It, it, it's, uh, it was a, a quote that jumped out and got me. It's false gospels say in one way or another – Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, and he will return someday to gather his church. Everyone who has agreed with this set of religious facts is a Christian. By the way, you don't need to do anything about it. In fact, you You can't do anything about it because it's all by grace. Now for a lot of people, (laughs) I'm afraid a lot of people would say, that's exactly what I heard last Easter proclaimed in my church. What's wrong with that version of the gospel?
0: yeah I, th- I think uh so when we well, in the book we kind of look at three aspects to jesus kingdom gospel and it's really important that we have the, that framework in our minds so when jesus came we, we delve into two particular passages of scripture where jesus is actually revealing the, his gospel to the disciples uh the first one is in mark chapter one mm-hmm. and it's, it actually says that jesus came proclaiming the gospel of god and he said um The the kingdom of God has come, therefore repent, believe, and follow me. And then in Mark chapter 8, he goes into more detail about who he is as the king, and and Peter confesses him to be the Christ. And then um, he speaks, it's the first time in Mark chapter 8, that he speaks of his death and his resurrection with the disciples. And then again, the the call comes, follow me. And it's, it's built upon now, it's not just follow me, it's now deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me and so here we have quite an extraordinary gospel in that you have a crucified king which was unthinkable to the disciples you know if you were a dead king in the ancient world you were no king at all you stopped being the king if you were a dead king yeah and so um a crucified king made no sense to peter and i think that's why he had such a visceral reaction to jesus but then you have this um crucified king calling us to live a crucified life hmm. and and that's just a very different tone for the gospel it's not just um jesus has done everything and we receive it like a big blob of um sour cream that that's <laughs> not how grace works you must maybe spit out my coffee powers but i but i think people have this idea that grace is um god does everything and we do nothing right and uh and so there's a very uh passive view of grace that's involved in a lot of the the different gospels
1: let's dial into that a little bit because you you've just you've you've covered some important territory you you talk about mark one and then there's you also look at mark eight right and um you talk about this relationship between indicatives and imperatives um you also say it's impossible to separate belief and action. So help us, why don't, why don't you dial into that? What is the relationship between beliefs and imperatives? And how is what you're saying? I think for a lot of people, their, their antennas go up and they're like, are you talking about works righteousness? Are you saying we somehow work our way into heaven? And help us understand what, what you guys present in the book as this in, in, unbreakable relationship between belief and action, between indicative and imperative
0: of the gospel that's really good. Yeah. So so in Mark 1 and Mark 8 Jesus represents the declarations of the gospel. So God's kingdom has come, he is the Christ, he died on the cross for our sins, he was resurrected from the dead. But he also um presents to us his call. Okay, how are we how are we to respond to the gospel. So we're not just saved by hearing the declarations about Jesus. We also have to respond in the way that Jesus called us to respond to the gospel. If we don't repent and believe and follow Him, then you know, in Jesus' mind, we don't—we're not saved. You're not just saved by hearing it, kind of like what James says, where it's um, faith uh, without faith works is dead. Without works is dead. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, so what what the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom gospel does, and this this threw me for a loop, Adam. It really pushes us to. Um, understand a robust have a robust biblical understanding of grace because grace does isn't an excuse for sin it's actually grace is an empowerment for obedience and so right there in the gospel when jesus says repent and believe and follow as a response to the gospel we have to do something but but we're not doing we cannot do those things because we're dead in our transgressions and sins we cannot repent believe or follow jesus Without His grace empowering us and making us alive in Christ, and so, so the false gospels have pushed us into a false narrative of grace, which has which has left us thinking that grace is very passive, that we don't have to do anything. But there's more of a beautiful, mysterious partnership in the gospel itself, which bleeds over into a life of discipleship, which says grace empowers a new life with Jesus, and you can only live this new life of Jesus and truly follow Jesus by grace.
1: Yeah, you guys quote it's. It was a pretty convicting uh, statement by Dallas Willard, who said, "We've not only been saved by grace, we've been paralyzed by it." That's pretty. That's pretty stunning when you when you hear that. This idea of grace is just something. Now, how uh, dial into it just a little bit further because what 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 I'm hearing you say is that grace is something that that God pushes into our lives. It's a power that God pushes into our lives that requires a necessary response, right? Is that what you're saying? Grace is not yeah. just a declaration of our righteousness before God in Christ, a judicial dec- declaration of our righteousness. Grace is also a it's, a, it's something that moves us and empowers us to do the, the in, imperative, right? Repent, believe, and follow.
0: Yeah, and so, so when we think through this and you go, okay, well, how does grace empower obedience in my life? How does grace empower me to respond to the gospel? Um it's it's a fascinating thing to me to think through grace and the Holy Spirit together, because the Holy Spirit, as Jesus taught it um taught us about the Holy Spirit, he is a gift. The, the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit's a gift, which is a grace. And yes. so as as we as we are empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, as we live in the Spirit, we are living by grace. And so so the Holy Spirit is the one who's really empowering us into obedience and to follow Jesus. But we can talk about the Holy Spirit's empowerment and grace's empowerment as the same thing because the, the gift of the Spirit is a gift of grace to us.
1: So, so to of bring bring a uh, tie a loop on this. I, I mean, uh, put a bow on this. We're we're saying that the the God, that inherent in the gospel presentation is both a statement of what God's done and a statement of what we have to do in response to receive it. Mm-hmm. God, I think so yeah. Go ahead and 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 those four parts of the of here's what God's done right go ahead and give me those
0: yeah so so the the declarations of jesus kingdom gospel as he preached it in mark one and mark eight are god's kingdom has come jesus is the christ he's the king of the kingdom yep christ died on the cross for our sins and christ was resurrected from the dead so that's the that's the narrative story
1: arc of the of the gospel right i'm sorry go ahead keep going yep
0: no that's exactly right and then and then jesus uses the language of repentance and belief and following him as our response to that gospel okay how how do we respond to the gospel in in the way that jesus has outlined that will encourage us and cause us to be saved well we repent of our sin we turn from our old life without jesus we believe in this gospel this kingdom gospel about jesus and and that repentance and belief leads into a life of following and we can only do that we can only do we can only follow jesus in the power of the spirit um, which is by grace and there's a third category here so there's the declarations of the gospel the narrative aspect yep. of the ark of the gospel you said there's the responses to the gospel and then there's the benefits of the gospel and it's important to kind of have an outline of in your mind of of what those aspects are because then you don't confuse things so what are the benefits of the gospel well i receive the love of god i receive the forgiveness of god i'm justified before god i receive citizenship in the kingdom of god i'm adopted into the family of god i'm sanct- i begin being sanctified by the holy spirit i receive the gift of eternal life and the reason it's important to to know these kind of three aspects of the gospel the declarations responses and benefits and not confuse them is because it confuses our gospel I, I mean i've heard it said adam more than once um where justification by faith alone is the heart of the gospel. And they go, well, it's really important. It's an incredible benefit of the gospel, but justification isn't the heart of the gospel. Jesus is the heart of the gospel.
1: Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I keep unpacking that. I think, I think that would be, in some circles, that would be, people would go, whoa, what do you, wait a second, stop here. How can you, how can you replace I mean, the gospel equals justification by grace through faith alone. It's a declaration of God over us. God's imputed righteousness to us. That's the gospel. Anything added to that, you're suddenly, you know, verging into works righteousness. Have you had any any pushback like that uh,
0: as you as you've been teaching some of this material? Yeah, we have. I mean, we, we've we've I've been accused, and Bill's been accused of being anti grace and uh, of teaching works salvation. But I just keep pushing people back to Mark one and Mark eight, and asking people to to really look at what Jesus says the gospel is here's a fascinating stat um adam jesus doesn't once use the word grace anywhere in any of the four gospels and so he's he's preaching this gospel of grace while presenting the kingdom of god and and so just to kind of emphasize one aspect of his kingdom gospel is that he, he preaches about i mean the very first thing he said about the gospel is about god's kingdom The very last thing he taught on on the planet before he ascended into heaven was the kingdom and a hundred times in between um at different points in his ministry he was teaching or preaching about the kingdom of god and so so one of my uh questions for people is you know have you really preached jesus kingdom gospel if you haven't even talked about god's kingdom at all and and so so the the re-emphasis and refocus on the declarations of the gospel the declarations are all about jesus and i think anyone who uh, now don't mishear don't miss me here um justification is a, an incredible benefit and the reformation has put it at the very forefront of the benefits of the gospel for us but when we when we start saying that it's the heart of the gospel what we're doing is replacing jesus from the heart of the gospel with justification which ultimately means the gospel is about me because it's about my justification and not about christ who's the one who's justifying. so the, the emphasis here is to kind of keep the focus on jesus and the declaration of the gospel because if it's all about jesus then people um I, it becomes it becomes about him and not about us
1: mm, that's that's really that's a profound set when you when you when you actually start thinking about that you can see there's a profound set of implications that flow when you when you take Jesus out of the heart of the gospel. I mean, one of the things that happens is you get a highly individualistic gospel, right? I mean, it's about me and God, it's about me and eternity, and that can also uh, it it sort of takes away and uh, subtracts from the logic of the church. You know, suddenly it's if you don't see yourself if you don't see embracing the gospel as embracing life in a kingdom then suddenly church the logic of church just doesn't make that much sense and you're suddenly now into either like you said a therapeutic sort of thing where it's there to help you feel good or you're into some kind of a consumeristic thing and the church is there to provide services that you want and if you don't need them then you don't take advantage of them but you know that's those are all things that happen when we take the king off the throne of the gospel and just put kind of ourselves and our our own questions on on the on the, on the throne that's that that that's a lot to think about really
0: it, it really is it's it's uh it's been a bit mind bending for me personally it's also um, it, it's very provocative in my mind because if If we make the gospel about my forgiveness and me being loved and and me being healed and all these really good things they're all beautiful benefits of the gospel but if the focus is not on Jesus then then I have no idea and I will never know have any idea of what it means to follow Jesus because the first part of following Jesus is denying myself and if I've made the gospel all about myself then I can't even begin to follow Jesus and Mm. so the, the the thing about all this is and this is it, it's a very theological discussion in some ways yeah. but it, it shifts our focus um from a method of evangelism into the message of the gospel and what i've found is when when we get really crystal clear on the message of the gospel it just enlivens evangelism it just evangelism takes off when we're really crystal clear on the gospel and um yeah, it's, and that's what I know. Organic outreach is all about. It's about sharing that's your exactly faith right. naturally. And yeah. if you really have a, if you're really dialed in on the message of the gospel, then you can share it very naturally and shape your conversations around the gospel.
1: Which is about is about receiving God's gift of a new way to live, and um, in, in so many ways, and and serve and serve our King. So, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, uh, man. <laughs> it reminds me of why I enjoyed the first time we ever had a conversation together, and it also reminds me that we don't have anywhere near enough time to have this conversation as much as I would like to. I want you to just can you help me now? I'm a pastor of a local church. A lot of people who listen to our our podcast are leaders. I mean, there are people all over the place. How does this? How does this? Let's take this out of kind of the realm of of theology and and take it down in the realm of what does this look like in the local church? If a local church embraces the disciple-making gospel, the discipleship gospel, what, is that, what does that look like in, in a local church, in a local community um, for, for us?
0: Yeah, I th- so, so I think the, the first thing is just to, to realize, okay, Romans one sixteen, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of every, every, everyone who believes. And then First 1 Corinthians 15.3, the gospel is of first importance so is there anything more important in the local church than the gospel if we're going to get anything right it has to be the gospel Um, and it does lead to discipleship and all these other things but if we don't get the gospel right then everything else is going to be off everything's Mm -hmm. going to be twisted and confused and so just to to spend some time as a pastor thinking through and making sure the gospel you preach Is Jesus kingdom gospel that's all that the discipleship gospel is it's just the the kingdom gospel of Jesus and being really convinced in your own mind of what that is um, I think that's a really important first step because okay every Sunday in one way shape or form I'm preaching the gospel Mm. Um, we have a statement on our church website you know there's a doctoral you know what we believe and the very first statement is what what is the gospel Um, when we have new members come into our, um, exploring Cypress class, you know, we go through the gospel with them. So every, almost at every corner of life in our church, we are going, we are reinforcing and rebuilding and, um, helping people understand with crystal clarity, what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. Because we feel like if, if we're off on that, if we don't spend a lot of time on that, then we're going to miss a lot of other stuff. And if we spend a lot of time on that, it's going to reap the, the benefits of people are going to get what grace is, how grace works, what the gospel is, the power of the gospel, the transformation of the gospel. They're going to see it in the community of the people of God. Um, so I think I, you know that's what we do in the Bonhoeffer Project. We spend one year going through the gospel and showing and, and kind of crafting a plan of like, okay, how does the gospel lead to disciple making in the local church? And um, if you get the gospel right, it is amazing the, the disciple making fruit that is born through that.
1: Wow. That's, that's good. That's a great first step. I, I mean, I, I, and I can't, I mean, especially if you, if you serve in the church or if you're, especially if you're a pastor in the church, you work with people and, and there, there are moments when you're sitting across the desk from someone, and they're about to make a decision that you know is going to be tragic and you share with them. And you try to share with them and the, and, and the response is, well, I know maybe this isn't the right thing, but God will forgive me at some point and grace will cover it. And um, sometimes you, you start to realize it's like they haven't really gotten the gospel if, this, if they think this is what following Jesus is all about. And yet that's sometimes the gospel I think that people have been given a lot of times in the church. And so what I'm hearing for us is the first thing we have to do as leaders is we, we really need to get our heads and hearts wrapped around the gospel and make sure that's what we're communicating
0: uh, very clearly. I'm guessing that's why you wrote the book, right? Yeah, it's, and it's also, it's not just to um, uh, fix something that's wrong, but it's also to rebuild something on, on something that's right. So, you know, I had a, a young uh, a man come into uh, my office he, he's actually 80 years. He was 80 years old at the time, Japanese-American man. His wife had been praying for his salvation for 50 years. And um, he came in and I just, I shared the gospel with him. And he just, he responded to the gospel, came to faith. He said, well, what do I do now that I have believed in Jesus? And we'll get baptized. And so he got baptized. What do I do now? Well, I'm, I'm starting a discipleship group, come through this discipleship group. And so we went through Mark's gospel where Jesus unpacks all of this and and his name is bob and bob now isn't fighting against uh and unlearning a whole lot of stuff he's just he's just come in with this foundation and so he's got this robust understanding of grace <laughs> this beautiful understanding of the transformation of the gospel and he's 82 years old and he's on wow. fire and he's sharing the gospel <laughs> and making disciples in our church like a fiend <laughs> at the moment that is
1: what it's all about. That is what it's all about. So, brother, you've um, we we've talked about your book, the Discipleship Gospel. What could someone do? What can a leader do in a local church if they want to in- integrate uh, this book in? Do you guys have workbook type materials for it? Do you have? I mean, what 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 would you suggest people do if they want to get their heads wrapped around what you're talking about beyond just reading the book?
0: Yeah. So a uh, couple of different things. So reading the book's helpful. It's kind of lays the foundation. We've got a uh, a workbook that goes along with. The, the book it's called the discipleship gospel workbook and it's actually the discipleship curriculum um, that we designed at Cyprus Church to take our people through so it gets, takes you through the gospel of Mark one chapter at a time um, there is a big emphasis on obedience based discipleship so when we read something in one of the chapters of Mark's gospel we put it into practice very cool um, and then uh, you know the Bonhoeffer Project is dot uh, com is a place where if you're a pastor and 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 or a lay leader in a church, you can go through the Bonhoeffer project, and it will connect a lot of dots for you.
1: Oh, that's that's so great. Why why Bonhoeffer?
0: Um, just because of his uh, influence in the early World War Two times, with a group of young pastors, where it was illegal to to basically preach the kingdom gospel and make disciples the way Jesus did it. And he, he just did it anyway. And th- those young guys that he discipled in the 30s went on to have a huge impact in Germany. And so Bonhoeffer focused on ministry leaders, but started with the gospel, how it led to discipleship. That's his um, book, yeah. The Cost of Discipleship. And the, the impact that he had is, is something that the Bonhoeffer Project is hoping to, to do in, in the United States oh, and around that's... the world.
1: That's, that's powerful. Well, Ben, I just want to thank you for being on the, on the podcast today. Thanks for giving us a chance to hear just a little bit about, about it. And, and um, I, I want to encourage people to check out your church, um, Cypress Community Church in Salinas, California, if you're in that neck of the woods. Um, check out – Ben, do you have a personal website or, or, or just the church website?
0: Just the church website. It's cypresschurch.org and then uh, the com.
1: Okay, that's awesome. Appreciate it. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure
0: being with you, mate.
1: All right. Well, I hope that was an inspiration to you as it was to me. I want to encourage you, pick up a copy of The Discipleship Gospel. And the subtitle is amazing, What Jesus Preached, We Must Follow. You can pick it up on your favorite bookseller. Um, I got my copy um, off Amazon.com, and I would encourage you to pick one up when you get the chance. All right, that's it for now. Goodbye. God bless. I want to also encourage you, help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. All you have to do is send an email to info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you want to join the team. If you do, we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. Just imagine how jealous your friends are going to be when they see you sipping your favorite beverage in one of these babies. I think you want to do it. Well, for now, this is Adam Barr reminding you, make time to share God's life